This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Avoid Probate with Jason Laidler. Heard every Sunday at 8 a.m. on Zoomer Radio. Welcome to the program with a unique focus on helping Canadians avoid probate. The one thing everyone should know about probate is that it's not inevitable. With some planning and good advice, you can avoid the exhausting, expensive and time-consuming probate process and have your affairs settled quickly and privately. Speaking of good advice, here are your hosts of Avoid Probate. Good morning, Zoomer listeners. Welcome to the Avoid Probate Show. Thank you for being here. This is week number two of the show. If you missed last week, uh, you can find the show on a podcast at the Zoomer website. Uh, It is the Avoid Probate Show, and I'm Jason Laidler joining you on May 9th, which happens to be... Europe Day, if I'm not wrong. Europe Day is a day to celebrate peace and unity in Europe. Marks the anniversary of the historic Schuman Declaration. I'm not sure how many of you were around during the Schuman Declaration, but I'm not going to get into those details. I'm sure if you Google it, you can learn all about the Schuman Declaration. So happy Europe Day. By the way, my grandparents and my mother came from Europe. They came over on the boat from Scotland. Hence the bagpipes that opened up the show for you this morning. And as I explained last week, that's me on a set of electronic bagpipes, which um, I'm happy to say is a Canadian invention. It also happens to be in, in the month of May, lots of stuff going on, including multiple sclerosis months. And I was thinking about that. And I do know a girl with MS that I went to high school with. I haven't seen her for a few years now. I hope she's doing well. I'm going to try to reach out to her and uh, catch up. Uh, It also is National Physiotherapy Month. That's something I can uh, tell you stories about as well. And it also is Vision Health Month. So I took that as a reason for me to finally, finally reach out and book my first ever eye exam. I'm over the age of 50, just over the age of 50, in case you're wondering. And I think... Maybe I had an eye exam in elementary school or something like that, but it certainly has been decades since I've had one. And I know uh, from friends of mine who tell me the importance of getting your eyes checked on a regular basis, and it's just something I've been putting off. But once I learned that it was a vision health month, I made that appointment, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. I do use cheaters. Um, Those are the glasses you buy you know, in the drugstore or at Costco or something like that. They're not prescription. But I've noticed that even using the cheaters is getting to be a challenge as I get older. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about in terms of um, dates, I really want to apologize to all our Greek Zoomer listeners out there because when we had our first show last Sunday on May 2nd, that was a big holiday for Orthodox Greeks. That was the Greek Easter And I know that's a big deal. So I want to say happy belated Easter to those uh, Orthodox Greek listeners that are out there today. Today, we are happy to have 
Andrew Monroe joining us again. He is a lawyer in Toronto. He'll be by, he'll be by soon to sort of pick up where we left off last week. If you remember, hopefully you were listening last week, we introduced the topic of probate, basically talking about what it is and what it isn't. There's a lot of confusion out there about what probate is and who has to deal with probate. Um, I mentioned last week, a lot of people come up to me and say, I don't need to worry about it because I have a will. And we talked about that with Andrew last week in some length. At some length, it's not a reason or or a, a method of getting out of the probate process. Having a will does not solve your probate problem. Um, we're going to talk about that probably a little bit more today. We're going to sort of pick up where we left off. We're going to introduce a few new topics. We're going to talk about powers of attorney, uh, different types of powers of attorney. Andrew will uh, explain what that looks like and joint accounts. Uh, joint accounts, I got to tell you, we could talk about joint accounts for days. And it's a real uh, issue that I have with joint accounts. We'll, we'll, we'll explore that after the break. So maybe top up your coffee and uh, stay with us. We'll be back in a few minutes. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. Good afternoon, friends. We are gathered here to remember, insert your name, and we're heartbroken because, insert your name, did not avoid probate. So the loved ones of, insert your name, have to wait a long time for what rightfully is theirs. I see I've made you cry. Recent changes in law make probate slower, more complicated, and more expensive. Don't make it harder for your loved ones. Avoidprobate.ca this is Avoid Probate on Zoomer Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Welcome back to the Avoid Probate Show. I'm Jason Laidler. Thank you for joining us again on AM740. I'm happy to say we are fortunate enough to have Andrew Monroe back in the studio with us for the second week because there was just so much to cover you know, on the topic of probate in week one, we we knew we weren't going to get anywhere near all of it, and we were not going to get anywhere near all the rest of it today either, but we are going to talk on some of the major points. So, Andrew, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Jason. It's wonderful to be back. Um, just before the break, I mentioned uh, it was Vision Health Month, by the way, and I see you're wearing glasses over there. Have you had your eyes checked lately? No, I'm afraid to say I haven't. <laughs> no? Is that why there's a lot of squinting going on over there? <laughs> yes, but thank you for reminding me. Okay. I'll have to have that done. Yes, you should. Um, arrange for a checkup. Okay. Well, having said that, hopefully you can read uh, some of the papers we got here to guide us through this disaster that I refer to as the probate process. Um, powers of attorney. Something else that's very misunderstood. By the way, I, I sorry, I should have given you a chance to introduce yourself properly to the listeners. Thank you, Jason. So um, I started in estates practice uh, almost 15 years ago with a friend of mine, Christopher Clapperton, and um, he and I opened a law office focusing on estates and trusts. And the name of our law office is Clapperton Monroe Law. And we're located in the West End of Toronto, although we do travel regularly to see clients throughout the GTA and beyond. 
And so I assume that a good chunk of your practice includes preparing POA documents for your clients. Yes, that's part of our practice. Uh, we develop estate plans for clients, and uh, part of that estate planning involves taking instructions and drafting uh, powers of attorney for both personal care and property. Okay, Andrew, so then tell, tell the listeners what the two different power of attorney documents are. There are two types of powers of attorney. Uh, you have a power of attorney for property, and secondly, you have a power of attorney for personal care. And I'm curious, before talking about the distinction there in more detail, and I mentioned before I didn't want to make this a COVID show. I don't want to talk about COVID if we can help it. But are you seeing a spike in interest from people who, because of COVID, want to get their powers of attorney sorted out? That's a really good question. We have seen an increase in the number of people coming forward and um, uh, seeking legal advice and wanting to have estate plans uh, done. That would include a will and the powers of attorney. Okay, so can you explain a little bit in more detail what the different powers of attorney are? Right, so... um, The continuing power of attorney for property is a document by which the donor, so the person who wants to grant the power to the attorney, that's that's the person who's called the donor, the donor grants the power to the attorney to do anything. Typically, this is a situation uh, with a broad uh, power of attorney for property without uh, specific restrictions. They grant uh, the agent or attorney the power to do anything with their property that they could do except make a will. So just to be clear and to put it in real life terms, the donor could be my dad and I am the agent or his attorney. So it's a fa- it could be a father-son thing or, or a parent and adult child thing. Yes, as long as the attorney is 18 years of age or older. With capacity. With capacity. So the second type of power of attorney is a power of attorney for personal care. And that is a document by which the donor grants the power to an agent or attorney to make any personal care decisions for the donor should the donor be unable to do so. Uh, often, th- that too is granted to a family member, but it doesn't have to be. I understand. And also, there can be a condition uh, about when the power comes into effect, right? Can you talk about... Well, with a power of attorney for personal care, it, it's going to be effective only if the donor is unable to make their own personal care decisions Otherwise, they'll just make the decision for themselves. So we talked about how it's a powerful document. Having said that, are there any type of restrictions that can be placed? You mean with respect to a power of attorney for property? Yes. Right. So um, the first thing you want to think about is uh, when the document becomes effective. Sometimes uh, they become effective uh, once they're signed and witnessed. Other times they can be effective uh, only uh, during a period when, for instance, you're out of the country. So you can really um, 
design it the way you want and 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 provide the powers uh, that you want under certain conditions um, more often than they're, than not they're drafted quite broadly and they become effective um, once they're signed okay so I'm in your office and I want to get these power of attorney documents drafted up and what other considerations do I need to uh, think about before we sign on the dotted line well, one of the most important uh, things you have to think about is who you want to name, obviously, because um, an attorney or agent uh, is a fiduciary. And so, obviously, that, that means that they're acting in a, uh, in a position of trust. And so, you obviously want to pick someone who you can trust uh, immensely and uh, who will always act in your best interests. But if I have two kids and I don't feel like picking a favorite, it's okay for me to name them both, correct? You can name them both if you wish. And that's a, that's a really good question because um, when, <clears throat> when clients come in and, and they indicate that they would like to name their son and daughter, I ask them, do they get along? Because that's important. Yeah, and maybe they get along today, but who knows what tomorrow brings, right? Well, relationships can change over time, Especially yes. under high-pressure situations like this. So I'm not sure if I interrupted you or not, but let's say, yeah, they get along fine. So there's no problem then uh, naming both children? Well, you take the instructions from the client, and if the client doesn't want to prefer one child over the other and is comfortable... Uh, naming both, and uh, the client and I have discussed some of the potential problems that could arise uh, if uh, both, if they cannot agree on certain decisions. If the client's um, comfortable with their decision, um, then yes, by all means, um, you can name both. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Um, you talked about, you touched on whether or not they can agree. I've got a situation right now where uh, it is son and daughter. Uh, mom is very elderly. I think she's 94, something like that, still alive. And the two kids do not agree. Right. Um, and that happens. Yeah, it's going to happen, of course, especially in the late stages, right, of, of the situation when mom's 94. So, is there a mechanism? Is there a solution? Do we call you? What happens in that case? So I recently um, saw a situation where uh, two children could not agree on uh, what they wanted to do with uh, the parents' uh, property. And uh, the financial institutions uh, took the position that they were not prepared to do anything with uh, the assets until both children could agree and uh, provide them with uh, written directions on what to do with the property. So in the meantime... So the, kid, the kids had to come to uh, some sort of agreement. And in the meantime, the, the money's frozen at... at will it... Well, it wasn't moved. Okay. I, I understand. Um, I have another situation where... A lady wrote into the the website uh, voidprobate.ca. There's a there's a button there for your questions and comments, and we encourage you to send those in if you have any comments or questions. And in this case, Donna wrote in um, 
And of course, we always protect uh, privacy and uh, respect people's personal confidentiality. We would never use last names when we're talking about these issues. So Donna's concern, though, was that um, her 90-year-old father had a bunch of different accounts and it was really a hodgepodge and and he's 90 and he's in the hospital currently and not expected to come out of the hospital so she was looking for some assistance to uh, avoid as much probate as she can and my advice to her among other things I won't get into all the details but often my advice is to simplify things as much as possible before the person passes away so in this case Dad had a brokerage account with a number of different shares in it. He had a TFSA. And I explained to Donna, he doesn't need these things anymore. When you're 90 years old and you're in the hospital, and there's a good chance you're not coming out of the hospital, you don't really need a TFSA anymore. You don't really need a brokerage account anymore. Those things are going to be very time-consuming and difficult to wrap up after Dad's passed away. So if he can clean it up, as, as much as possible today, my advice to her was to do that and put all those funds into dad's checking account at the bank. And then it would be much easier to handle when he passes away. To which she replied to me, well, if we do that work now, why don't my brother and I just take the money out of the checking account today? And that raised a, a red flag with me because she is acting, I'm assuming, as a legitimate power of attorney. She tells me she's a power of attorney as well as the brother who's out of province. So that just adds another layer of complexity to things. And my concern with her question was, you know, you mentioned uh, the fiduciary duty that a power attorney has and their actions are meant to be always in the best interest of the person you call the donor, right? dad in this case. And in my opinion, and I'm, this is a question for you, you know, taking the money out of dad's checking account today just because it makes Donna's life easier, that's not really acting in dad's best interest. And I was concerned that, you know, that, that could be misconstrued by somebody. And I don't want to use the term POA fraud, but it is a real term and it does exist. What are your thoughts on, on that situation, Andrew? Well, in any situation, you have to look at the specific circumstances. Yes. And whether you're going to pull... Uh, funds out of any particular account and move them uh, depends on the individual circumstances. There could be tax implications. Yep. Uh, there are a whole host of um, considerations that have to be taken into account before a decision can be made. Okay, Andrew, uh, once again, you know, lots to consider, lots of ins and outs. It's a tricky business. That's why people need your services. Oh, speaking of your services and mine, I mean, I should remind our listeners that the information provided in this program is for general consumption only and is not intended to provide particular legal or investment advice. As we keep saying, every situation is different. And so if you have legal or investment questions, you should speak with a licensed expert. Or, of course, you can contact myself or Andrew Monroe. My email is info at avoidprobate.ca. My toll-free office number is 1-844-667-7628. Andrew, how can our Zoomer audience reach you if they have any specific legal questions with regard to getting POAs or their estates organized? They can always reach me by email at amunro, M-U-N-R-O, at 
cm as in charlie michael law.ca they can always reach me at my office at 416-443-1200 okay thank you for that time flies when you're having fun so i'm going to wrap it up uh with regard to the POA conversation right now because I want to get to joint accounts. I know that's a big, big topic, and I've got uh, lots of questions for you about joint accounts. We'll cover that when we get back from the break. Stay where you are. We'll be right back. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. My name is Marilyn, and I avoided probate. Marilyn is a good daughter who wants the best for her elderly mom. Um, why is she overdrawn on her account? What's going on here? Her mom had money, much of which was tied up in non-registered accounts like GICs, paying next to no interest, which meant... She was dipping into her capital big time because the residence she was staying in was very costly. So she was overdrawn on her account four times a month. Marilyn wanted to disperse the money for her mom's needs using her power of attorney. The bank refused, saying the accounts were in her mom's name only, and then rubbed salt in the wound. They pushed it back on the family and said it was all our fault. We should have been on top of it, not them. That's when Marilyn got a hold of Jason at avoidprobate.ca. He accompanied Marilyn to the bank to move mom's money. Why? The insurance companies now have as many, if not more, investment options than the banks have. Plus, we can also put a 100% death benefit guarantee on the account once it's at the insurance company. Anybody who has non-registered accounts at the bank needs to look into the services we provide at avoidprobate.ca. I don't know how long my mother is going to live. None of us know. So my thing was, if she lives to 100, there'll be more than enough money to sustain her. How was avoidprobate.ca able to help Marilyn's mom? It's a good news story. The account is earning money much more than it did when it was at the bank in a low-paying GIC. But more importantly, it's still 100% mom's money. There's no joint owner on the account, but there is a beneficiary on the account, which wasn't there before. Which means no tax issues and no probate to worry about. I share my story with as many people as I can, and I hand out Jason's cards to lots of people and say, call this man. He'll walk you through it. Call us at avoidprobate.ca on the toll-free number, but call us before your mom or dad passes away. That's when we can help you. Avoid probate like Marilyn did with avoidprobate.ca. Call 1-844-667-7628. This is Avoid Probate on Zoomer Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Welcome back to the Avoid Probate Show on Zoomer Radio AM 740. I'm Jason Laidler. Thank you for joining us on week two of the new Avoid Probate Show. I'm sitting here with Andrew Monroe. Before the break, we were talking about powers of attorney. Now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty with regard to joint accounts. And before we even get started, I'm going to say, Andrew doesn't want me to say this, but I got big problems and big concerns with joint accounts in my line of work You know, as a financial advisor. Um, but having said that, we'll, uh, we'll start from the top. So, Andrew... How about you tell the listeners what a typical joint account looks like? Well, typically, um, uh, for instance, a husband and wife will hold uh, assets or accounts jointly. And by that, I mean they will both be on title, as uh, title holders of the accounts. And in that case, with a true joint account, uh, the right of survivorship attaches so that when the first of the two passes away, uh, the survivor or surviving spouse 
owns the entire account or accounts. Now, the nice thing about that sort of arrangement is you avoid having to probate those accounts for the first spouse that passed away. This is uh, an arrangement that's often put in place for spouses for that very reason, to avoid probate. Okay, so I get the husband and wife thing, and I know there are other spousal provisions that make, I don't want to say make life easier for the surviving spouse, but really, when it comes to dealing with probate and settling the estate uh, for mom and dad, the real grunt work starts on the second death. So let's just say typically uh, grandpa's passed away first, grandma's still alive, um, no probate, like you say, because things were held jointly, um, hopefully, in that situation. Although I do have uh, some other stories I can share with you about how that didn't work out the way they planned it to. But in any case, I want to move on to the case where if it's just granny and she has an adult child or several and she wants to make things joint account with an adult child that's a bit of a different situation right i mean i i get that the goal is is the same but are there not more potential risks or pitfalls now once you've added an adult child to the account versus the spouse well yes um so one of the things you have to take into account as to whether or not that is even advisable, um, there are various things you want to consider. One of them would be uh, tax events. Mm-hmm. And does adding the adult child to the parent's account trigger a tax event? So what you, what you mean by that, just to be clear, is depending on the status of the investment account at the time the adult child is added... Uh, granny, in this example, may be forced to pay some taxes. We call it, we often refer to them as unrealized gains uh, that haven't triggered the tax bill yet because they haven't been sold yet. But adding the child is is like granny sold half of the value of the account, and so that creates a tax bill potentially in that tax year, in that calendar year. Correct. That's what I meant by tax event, correct. Okay. That's one potential pitfall. Now, I would say once you've weighed the the pros and cons that somebody might still think it's worthwhile, Um, it might not create a tax event for one thing. And even if it does, that tax event could be minimal, depending on, like I said, the status of the investment account at the time. So what are some of the other pitfalls that we need to worry about? Well, one of the things, obviously, that you would want to consider as well is if you're going to add someone onto a, a, an account and be a joint holder, you obviously have to have the utmost trust in them because they're going to have access to the account. The full account. In other words, not just you know the, the half that they own, sort of. They don't really own just half, but if they think that that's the case. And I'll bet you there are listeners out there who think when they add an adult child or anybody to the account that it really is like a 50-50 thing and, you know, they own half and the other person owns half. But Yeah, no, no, it's access uh, to the entire account. Which which could be risky business. I mean, I don't want to sound disparaging. Well, that's, that's why you have to have the utmost trust in them. So then what other considerations or potential issues could arise from this, this situation, this arrangement, a joint account? 
Well, some of the things that uh, you should uh, consider are uh, uh, whether or not the person that you're adding has any creditor or creditors pursuing them, uh, because uh, the last thing you want is for uh, uh, some creditor to be uh, looking at your account as a means to satisfy some debt that's, that does not belong to you. Um, other things you might consider are uh, whether or not the person is having any marital issues, because uh, if there is a dissolution of a marriage, potentially uh, that individual spouse may look to that account as a means to satisfy some type of liability. All right, I want to make sure I understand this. So you're saying that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more blunt about it. The money, the money's on the table with regard to the, the adult child's creditors if they happen to be sued or uh, for whatever reason there's, there's creditors coming after them for something. That money's on the table. It's susceptible to be uh, used to satisfy those creditors? It's potentially exposed, It's yes. potentially exposed. Yeah, that's a good word for it, exposed. And and if there are marital issues, assuming there's a marriage there, the adult child has a spouse, and that adult child's spouse decides it's a good time to leave that marital situation, the money is exposed in that situation as well, which is hard to believe, actually, but... But that's the, the truth of the matter, right? That money... Well, it potentially is because once that person is added to the account and they're a joint holder, then that becomes part of their property. Right. So it's, it's literally part of their property. And when you leave a marriage situation, you divide up the property. There's a division of property. There's a division of property, and that, that is on the list. So, Jason, these are some of the considerations um, that you should take into account before you add uh, someone on to um, an account as a joint holder. Um, however, under the right circumstances, uh, it can be a good uh, or useful tool to avoid probate. I agree. Um I think there's a better way to do it in some cases. You know, to your point, I think the best situations I've seen where it's worked is when the adult child that's been added is an only child. Because, as you know, there have been lots of cases where it's been challenged in the courts as to who should be getting a piece of, of that pie. If there are siblings involved, for example, you know, the adult child might say, and this is just hypothetical, of course, no, no, dad wanted me to keep all of that money for me. He did, he never intended it to be shared with the rest of the kids. Right. And, of course, the brothers and sisters might have a problem with that interpretation, <laughs> and they might say, what, are you out of your mind? No, of course not. He, he did that for convenience reasons, but really the intention all along was for you to do the right thing and be responsible and divvy it up equally after he passes. And that has been challenged, right, in the court system. And it's gone all the way to the Supreme Court, which, I don't have to tell you, takes years and years and years and costs a small fortune or maybe a big fortune in legal fees, right? And, you, and we can refer to actual court cases. Right. So as I was saying, um, quite often, a uh, husband and wife will set things up jointly. And that's very useful in that type of scenario. 
what you're talking about is the typical situation where uh, mom or dad have passed away and the surviving parent uh, wants to put some uh, account or accounts uh, into a joint name with uh, one of the children. And uh, you're right, where there's one child, uh, it typically isn't a problem. But when there are more than uh, one child, or, uh, then it potentially can be a problem. And so there's been um, a slew of litigation over this issue. And uh, and is it a true joint account? Does the right of survivorship attach? Or was it done just for estate planning purposes? And what was mom or dad's true intention when the account was put into a joint name? So the And this has been right up, as you say, uh, to the Supreme Court of Canada. Uh, several years ago, there was a case, Pacor versus Pacor, which has been considered several times since then. And um, essentially, that uh, case stands for the proposition that where um, a parent puts property into the name of an adult child jointly, then that property is impressed with a resulting trust for the benefit of the parent. And the benefit of any other children. Right. So if it's impressed with a resulting trust um, and when that parent passes, it's going to be held in trust for the estate of that deceased parent. So in that situation, it would be distributed in accordance with the terms of the will. Yeah. I think that's a critical point that that's worth repeating. The, the court in PCOR v. PCOR um, made the ruling that when you add the adult child to the account, the assumption is that it's not just for that adult child's benefit. In other words, if you think you're pulling a fast one over your sister and your brother because you got added onto the account, it's not necessarily the case, right? Well, that's right. There's, it's called a presumption of resulting trust. So it's presumed that under those circumstances, that adult child is holding that account in trust for dad or dad's estate right. uh, if he's passed. Now, that presumption is rebuttable. I was just going to say, I, I didn't want to say that it couldn't work out the other way because it is entirely possible that if, you know, if dad really does intend on just leaving that account for that one child, that's certainly a possibility. That's up to dad. It's dad's money, right? It, it can be set up that way. It is, but it has to be documented that way. And so, yes, you can uh, rebut the presumption. And, and uh, so typically... The child would say, no, dad intended that account to be a gift. Mm -hmm. So in that case, uh, a court would look to some evidence to substantiate that can we claim. Talk, can we talk about what, what that evidence might look like? Um, just in case any of the listeners out there you know this is what they want to do. What does the evidence look like? What do they, what does documentation, what do they need? Right. So um, a typical document that would be used if dad intended that to be a true joint account with right of survivorship would be a declaration of intention. And the declaration of intention would state that, yes, this account is meant to be a true joint account. And it's my intention that when my son was added to the account, 
that um, upon my demise that the balance uh, or the proceeds of that account uh, go to my son. But since Pacor, um that whole notion or doctrine of a resulting trust has been expanded upon, and it's uh, even gone as far as to include uh, uh, gratuitous transfers of property. For instance, if uh, uh, Dad writes a check to one of the children and uh, he subsequently passes away, uh, and those those funds are placed in an account, are those funds impressed with the resulting trust, or did Dad intend those funds to be a gift? Really. So the whole the whole doctrine has been expanded upon. Sounds like a lot of extra work for lawyers. Well, the point really is if if the intentions of the donor are not well documented when the individual is added to the account or the gratuitous transfer of property is made, uh, that's when problems arise down the road. So it's important that the donor's intention be uh, well and clearly documented at the time. And that's where we come in at avoidprobate.ca because we think there's a better option that checks those boxes that you're talking about. Instead of naming a child, which isn't always a problem, but naming multiple children or, or having multiple children and only naming one, what we want to do is add beneficiaries to that account because that is a process with a paper trail. So dad selects who he wants to be the beneficiaries. That's a decision he makes uh, when he's competent to make that decision. And we don't have joint ownership on it. We don't need joint ownership on the account. It solves the same question because when the kids are named as beneficiaries and dad passes away, they get their inheritance. And there's no question about who owned this part or who owned that part. Dad owns all of the money, so there's no ownership challenges there. Um, there's no PCOR, there's no resulting trust. There's no PCOR v. PCOR effect. It's all dad's money still, but we've added beneficiaries. And that accomplishes what dad wants to accomplish. We talked about power of attorney in the first part of the show. If dad is looking for help managing these assets, well, that's what the power of attorney is for. We talked about that already. So moving the assets so that we can put a beneficiary on them, if, we, if, if they have to be moved for that to happen, and often they do have to be moved, you can't have a beneficiary on a non-registered account at the bank. So we often have to move it over to an insurance company where the rules are different and we can put a beneficiary on the account. Um, Dad can name the kids, the cat, the church, whoever he decides. It's his money, like I said. But we've solved the problem of those uh, those concerns that you raised uh, with regard to moral character and creditors and things like that because it's still all in Dad's name. So none of that other stuff is a factor. And to me, it's a cleaner more efficient way to structure the estates. So that's a, a touch of what the solution looks like, uh, a glimpse that uh, I plan on expanding in future shows for sure, because that's that's what we do at avoidprobate.ca. We use this beneficiary tool to help people avoid 
the probate problem, the probate nightmare. I'm going to keep calling it that. For now, though, we need to go to break. Please stay where you are. We'll be right back. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. This is Avoid Probate on Zoomer Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Welcome back to the Avoid Probate Show on Zoomer Radio, 740 AM. I'm glad you're here this morning for week two. It's very exciting. We've got lots of stuff planned for week three and four. Stay with us. But I just want to expand on a couple of comments I made before the break about with regard to non-registered accounts at the bank and the inability to put a beneficiary on these accounts. So to be clear, the non-registered account is not the TFSA. It's not your RIF. If you're over 71, uh, you don't have an RSP. You might have a RIF. These types of accounts and other registered accounts they have the option to have beneficiaries built into them. So there's not a probate problem waiting to happen here. Assuming you've used the beneficiary option, we see situations often where even though you can have a beneficiary on your TFSA, it hasn't been labeled and it's been being payable, payable to the estate. That's a problem. So even though you can have a beneficiary on these accounts, doesn't mean you necessarily do, and that's something you should check on. Don't have it payable to the estate. The non-registered investments that Granny has usually um, often holds GICs or government bonds or things like that. You cannot, by definition, put a beneficiary on that, and that's the that's the stuff that causes the problems once Granny passes away and that account gets frozen. So, what we want to do is the the solution. I often say it's the best kept secret in the country because the bank's not going to tell you to move your money. So, what we want to do though is move that half million dollars of granny's GICs or whatever the dollar value is over to an insurance company where the rules are different and you can put a beneficiary on the non-registered account once it's at the insurance company. She can name one child, six children, charities, whatever she wants to do. It's unlimited options and that solves the problem. That solves the probate problem for that account. It will not be frozen once Granny passes away. So, you know, the probate process in the GTA, six months, maybe if you're lucky. Remember, the courts are backed up. Could be 10 months. If there's challenges, it could be a year and a half. It's onerous. We talked about this last week. There's lots of filing requirements and deadlines and penalties and liabilities and and issues associated with the process. And our position is if you can avoid any part of that probate nightmare You're wise to do so. Nobody wants to be an executor in Ontario. So this transfer of assets, I want to be really clear about this as well. When I mention an insurance company, a lot of of people think I'm talking about life insurance. I am not talking about life insurance in any way, shape, or form. The insurance companies today have as many, if not more, investment options than the banks do. You will be amazed at what the options are. And because they're insurance companies, they can provide guarantees on investments that the banks can't provide. All kinds of different guarantees provided by all kinds of different insurance companies. Canada has some of the strongest insurance companies on the planet. They're all competing for assets under management. They're all competing to manage and hold on to your investment dollars, just like the banks are. This transfer that I'm referring to, when we take Granny's half a million dollars out of Bank X, I'm not going to name any banks for sure, and we do the transfer over to any of these 
successful insurance companies in Canada, this transfer costs nothing most of the time. Uh, there can be some extenuating circumstances where there can be a cost associated with it, but 90% of the time, this is a free transfer of assets. So there's very little downside with this solution. I could go on and I will go on in future shows, but we're running out of time for this week. I want to thank you again for joining us. After the break, we'll wrap it up. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. Good afternoon, friends. We are gathered here to remember, insert your name, and we're heartbroken because, insert your name, did not avoid probate. So the loved ones of, insert your name, have to wait a long time for what rightfully is theirs. I see I've made you cry. Recent changes in law make probate slower, more complicated, and more expensive. Don't make it harder for your loved ones. Avoidprobate.ca this is Avoid Probate on Zoomer Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. That's it for week two of the brand new Avoid Probate show on Zoomer Radio. I got to thank Andrew Monroe for his generous time once again here explaining the legal side of things for us. Thank you, Andrew, for being here. Thank you very much, Jason. It's been a pleasure. Just want to say a big shout out to Susan and Matthew. Oh, very nice. Very well done. Frank, uh, our producer extraordinaire, couldn't have done it without you, Frank. Please take a minute, check out the website, avoidprobate.ca. Also, we didn't get to the mailbag this week. Write us with your questions or call us with your questions. We'll do our best to answer them and we'll share some of the juicy ones on the show with you next week. If you missed any of our shows so far, you can find past episodes on the Zoomer Radio website. Just find the Avoid Probate Show, and there's a button there for past episodes. Thank you, Zoomers, for your time again, and enjoy your Sunday. Bye for now. been listening to an exclusive podcast of Avoid Probate with Jason Laidler, heard every Sunday at 8 a.m. on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.